Amen. Let's thank the Lord for what He's doing. God is at work. He's hearing the prayers of His people as we look to Him and many of you who have been faithfully asking God and we're hearing the stories of how He's answering. And that's just a great joy. You can't put a price tag on that. I know every one of us, we want to see God at work in this region. And when we see Him working, we want to say thank you and we want to pause to give Him the glory for what He's done. There's been a couple of things that we have been noting even today that the uh, Awake students away on their retreat last weekend and just hearing the God stories of uh, what, what God has done and lives that have been impacted and breakthroughs that have happened, healings that have happened. I mean, this is, I was actually talking to one of our staff members this week and I was like, we should start writing these things down. I mean, this is like so many stories of like where we're seeing God at work and we're only seeing a piece of it, uh, but we know that God is doing some things. That happens when we ask. That happens when we humble ourselves and we get on our knees and our face before the Lord and, uh, and we keep giving Him the glory for the work that He's doing. And so this is not a time that we get proud and say, look at us and look at what we've done, but rather in humility, let's continue to invite the ongoing work of God through humble honest leaders who aren't done growing yet somebody say amen to that yeah we're not done growing yet i'm not done growing either god reminds me of that quite a bit um he really does (laughs) that one's that one's not a joke um this uh one of the things we do with our uh, membership class some of you have gone through membership class here at the church this isn't an ad. We don't have one coming up right away or anything. But uh, we, we watched a video uh, that tells some of the story of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and in particular, A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. That's the den- denomination we're a part of. <clears throat> and at the end of this video, when it talks about, like, he's written a lot of these books and done all these things, and this, he's launched a worldwide movement, you know, that's all over the world. It's really, I mean, it's really remarkable what God uh, did through his faithfulness but they say this phrase that I I just really love and we sometimes talk about to the staff that he said if you were to ask him today uh, about this worldwide movement that he started he would probably say Seth you got the wrong man man. that wasn't me that was Jesus in me and I love that that humble posture of just saying it's not about us not about me not about you but that's Jesus work and when he's doing work uh, we can celebrate that and be excited. Uh, just to, to note, I think is today the last day for Operation Christmas Child boxes. Aiden, is that right? Yeah, so if you have boxes, you can, some people were asking about where to put those in the lobby. Uh, those can go out there. We'll get those all collected and everything. And thank you for the many of you that are blessing people through that. Uh, hey, we're going to get into the message together. We're going to continue on in Second uh, First uh, Samuel. Uh, this has been part of our Bible Heroes series. We've been looking through a se- several different Old Testament books. Uh, today, uh, we're going to continue in this theme of pride and humility. So you, you might remember, if you were with us last week, we were looking at the Song of Hannah, and that was actually the verses that our worship team led us in as a call to worship today. So some of these verses, don't keep talking proudly or let your mouth speak in arrogance. This is 1 Samuel 2. For the Lord is the God who knows and by him deeds deeds are weighed. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and he has them inherit a throne of honor. This, this, This theme that goes through Hannah's song that we looked at last week is one of pride and humility. And it touches on this biblical theme that we really see all throughout. There's several different passages that talk about God opposing the proud, but giving grace to the humble. And when you start to see it, not only does that exact phrase show up in a lot of places in Scripture, 
Uh, but when you start to see the theme of that, you can't unsee it. Even today, when we talk about things like uh, it, it's, in, it's in our weakness that God is strong. It's like, well, it, there it is again. You know, it, it's not in our pride. It's not in our accomplishment. It's not in our achievement. It's not in how smart you are. It's not in all the things that you're able to do. But it's actually in our moments of weakness. You know, when we don't have a whole lot to offer that God says, that's a person I'm ready to use. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and in due time, he'll lift you up. So when we see that sort of theme again and again and again, we know that God is trying to say something to us. So I was thinking a little bit about this today. We are going to talk about uh, sort of embracing your limits as a part of understanding pride. We're going to look specifically at the life of Saul and some of the ways that he did not do that. So just as a little uh, quick story, uh, having a little bit of fun with this one, but I, I worked for a farmer. Everybody should work for a farmer at one point or another. Do we have any farmers in the house here today? Okay, good, we got some, some farming folk. Everybody should work for a farmer, even if you don't choose that as a vocation. It's just really good, honest work. You learn a lot of stuff, you know, get out in the field, all that kind of stuff. So I worked for a farmer when I was in high school and a little bit into college. And I just have all these memories of, of throwing hay bales and just doing all kinds of stuff. It was, it was really good. Sometimes being told to use machines, I didn't really quite know how to learn. And, you know, the farmer that I worked for was just like, you figure it out. He was like the, on the job, I figure it out, you know. So one time, we're unloading hay bales in the, in the barn. And uh, we're, we had this operation going that some guy's out with a tractor, and he's getting the next wagon loaded up and bringing it in. And then those of us that are in the barn, we're throwing them up in the hayloft, and we're doing all that kind of stuff. And we got this this uh, wagon unloaded and uh, for whatever reason I cannot remember why we determined we had to get this wagon out of the way for something we were going to do the problem was we didn't have a tractor with us the tractor was out in the field you know they were out doing different things and so the farmhand that was kind of like our boss that we looked for he goes we got like five or six guys here why don't we just walk the thing out and we all said sounds great so we, we, division, you know, we divided up the labor. The biggest guys decided that they should be in the back. I'm not sure what that was all about. They put me in the front, actually holding the metal bar that steers the wagon. And they said, we're just going to walk this thing down the slope, down the big slope, okay? Out of the barn and down the slope. And so, I mean, you get where this is going. You know, embrace your limits. A bunch of dumb guys are like, yeah, we think we can do that. You know, it's, it does, it's not even loaded, so it's probably not, hardly weighs anything, right? Uh, we were wrong, you know. So we start walking the thing out, and the way that I remember the thing operating, at some point, I'm standing still, but moving. Uh, my feet are just kind of sliding along the ground as this wagon is pushing me down, and then I start to see my compatriots, who are supposed to be helping hold this thing back, start to bail out, sort of one at a time. They're like kind of jumping ship, so now I'm kind of holding this wagon back by myself. I jumped ship and, w and went out, and I remember this, this part distinctly. When the wagon kind of went off course and down, thankfully did not hit anything, but it tipped over as much as it would physically be possible without falling, and it just sort of sat there for a moment, and we all held our breath, like, which way is it going to go? And then it went back on, on its wheels. The farmer comes back in about two minutes later from the field. And he takes one look at the situation. And he knows exactly what we did. And he goes, yeah, it's a little heavy, isn't it? And we're like, uh-huh. He said, no harm was done on that one. But we did learn a little bit about our limits. And uh, today when we look at the, the life of Saul, we're going to talk about that just a little bit as well. So pride and humility. When you see this theme of pride and humility throughout Scripture, please understand 
I, I believe this is firmly true. There is really no growth. There's almost no part of growing in Christ that does not touch on this theme of pride and humility. You cannot get saved without humility because salvation is God's grace to the humble and the death of pride at the cross. You cannot grow in your walk with Jesus, as many of you are endeavoring to do, and many of us are endeavoring to do, but sanctification is the being set apart to him. It's the ongoing work of increased Christ-likeness and dying to self. So you cannot grow in Christ without humility. In leadership, Jesus would basically say, don't lord your leadership or position over people, but learn to serve like Christ who washed his disciples' feet. You can't lead in the kingdom without humility. And in your relationships, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You can't thrive in relationship without humility. So you see this kind of phrase coming up again. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and the, the farther along you go, the more you realize this is a real thing. This is a real lesson. In fact, it's such a gift because if you get this one, you will actually see your spiritual life advance on almost every level. But if you miss this one, you find yourself swimming upstream at almost every place. Andrew Murray said, here is the path to the higher life, down, lower, down. Just as the water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds us abased and empty, his glory and his power flow in to exalt and to bless. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in due time. He will lift you up. So we're going to learn a little bit more about this as we've begun in this uh, passage uh, first and then into 2 Samuel as well. 1 Samuel begins saying that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions until God called a kid and he taught him the lesson of pride and humility which was spoken in prayerful blessing from his mother. 1 and 2 Samuel is really the story of three leaders. We see the, the story of Samuel, who is Israel's last judge. He's a prophet. He's a stable presence in a very unstable time. He's a voice of reason. He's the listening ear. He's the one that the people go to when they're saying, we have a thought or a need and we need you to talk to God about it. Samuel is that voice. It's also the story of Saul, and we're going to begin his story today. He's Israel's first king. He's got tons of potential and promise, but he doesn't finish well. And we want to learn some things vicariously here if we can today. In fact, much of his kingly reign, he spends in opposition of what God is trying to do in the next generation. So he spends a lot of his time, he keeps the, the monarchy, but he spends his time and his energy, the majority of it, trying to squelch the work that God is doing in the next generation. So every time we say as a church, like, we want to be about the next generation, this is the exact opposite of that. We don't want to find ourselves in that place for sure. Uh, it's also the story of David, who is Israel's second king, and a humble shepherd boy who killed a giant. He enjoyed fame and success, but not without traveling the lonely road of pain. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. The trials that he underwent would reveal that he too was deeply flawed, but yet he had a heart after God. We're going to look at that contrast. So the message today is going to trace the life of Saul just a little bit, at least the first part. He's the first king of Israel, humble beginnings to a poor finish, and we're going to look at a couple of the warning signs 
that were ignored to his peril. You could think of this message today as sort of looking in three different scenes, but I actually, before I get to those three scenes, I want to do a little prologue with you. And I want you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll do this little prologue together, which is where Israel demands a king. This is the people of God. They're coming to Samuel at this point, and they say, hey, we want to have a king like the nations around us. We want someone to go to battle for us. We want someone to, to, to lead us in that way. And it says in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. This is serious. You know what I mean? You, you might read this and say, well, you know, they just want a, a leadership structure over them. But God himself said, no, this is actually a rejection. This is a rebelliousness in their heart that is being expressed in this. So Samuel gives this big warning. And he says, guys, you need to really think through what you're asking because a king uh, situation may, may not be as rosy as you think. It might not be as romanticized as you think. There's actually a lot of downside to this. He explains that to them, but it says in verse 19 that people refused to listen. They said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go before us, to fight our battles. And the Lord says, yeah, go ahead and give him the king. But here's the problem. If you're trying to figure out, what, what, what is the issue here? I, I took some time, I was wrestling. What is really the issue here? The issue is, in the spirit that says, we want a king so that we can look like the other nations, their job was not to look like the other nations. The job of God's people, and this is true of the church today, incidentally. We just gotta, you know, you gotta think, think it through a little bit differently. The lines are drawn differently. But the people of God were actually called to be a witness of a different kind of living for the glory of God as a ministry to the surrounding nations. So when they are saying, we want to be like the surrounding nations, God is saying, yeah, well, then that is a rejection of me as their king. We also learned something very important about God here, and please don't miss this. If you've taken notes, write this down. Though we have not gotten to point one yet, this is still the prologue. God is able to redeem even our errant desires. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. God is able to redeem even our errant desires. And here's how I want to just personalize that for you, then we'll get into the meat of what we're talking about today. Have you ever had a struggle, a season of struggle, rebellion, sin in your life? Anybody? Just raise a hand, be you're among family. Oh, good. You, you all, you, that was good. That was, I didn't have to coax that out of y'all because the right answer to that is yes. Right, you have. Uh, it, there's not a one of us that does not have the old nature, that doesn't struggle with the old nature, that doesn't have seasons where we, we simply we get it wrong. That is a part of being a human being and walking with Jesus. And so you've had a season of struggle in your life, season of rebellion, season of sin or whatever. Here's the second question. Has God ever taught you something even through that season of failure, rebellion, sin? Has God ever taught you something? Raise a hand if that's true. Yeah. For most of us, if we've gone on long enough and sinned long enough, because we have, we realize that God is actually teaching us even in our failures. Does that make that season good? Well, yes and no. It's not good that we fail, but we actually grow in these seasons. God has a way of being able to redeem even our errant 
desires. Now, just to be clear, Paul said in the beginning of Romans chapter 6, he, should, he said, should sin increase so that grace would abound? And then he answered it very definitively. He said, no. He said, the goal is not that sin would increase in your life, but there is this beautiful reality that God's grace is more sufficient and we actually learn when we need it. God has a way of allowing even our errant desires to be redeemed. And he did that in the story of Israel. Even though the monarchy brought all kinds of untold bad things, he also used it to bring kings to bear like King David and ultimately to point them to the need for the true king that would come in Jesus. Okay, scene one in the life of Saul. Scene one I'm calling donkeys and promotions because who wouldn't like a little bit of both? In 1 Samuel 9, there's a little bit of an odd start, the, the introduction of who he is and a little bit of his story here in verses 1 and 2. Uh, it goes down to a man named Kish who had a son named Saul, and we know that that's going to be the first king of Israel. He was a handsome, uh, he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than everyone else. There are a lot of Old Testament leadership descriptions that focus on how handsome they were. We learned that Absalom was handsome. We learned that Solomon and David, these were handsome leaders, ruddy complexion, all that kind of stuff. And the key that we need to understand in this is, does that matter? No, it really doesn't matter. And yet it's a place where the, the, the natural inclination is to look at the wrong things in the formation of a leader. Samuel, I would imagine, probably eventually rolled his eyes at the discussion. He goes, he's the one who's called when, when David is appointed king after Saul, and he goes to the house of Jesse, and the, and the first son comes out, and the description of him is like he's so regal, he's so king-like that they're like, dude, that's him, right? That's gotta be the king. And Samuel's like, that's not the king. In fact, he's probably rolling his eyes at that point. He's like, seriously. It's not what it is. In, Sam, in 1 Samuel 16, after Saul is basically bottomed out, this is when we get that famous line. So Samuel looks at him and he says, you know, people look on the outside. God looks at your heart. And that's what matters. And in all of that lesson of God giving grace to the humble and opposing the proud, that, this is all heart stuff. So scene one is there's a lost donkey in the house uh, or in, in, the, in the family, and so uh, Saul's father says, take a servant, and you're going to go, and you're going to look for these donkeys, and they're looking all over the place. They can't find them, and, and the servant says, hey, I heard about this seer or this prophet who's living in this town. We could go. We could give him some money, and he could tell us where the donkeys are. Uh, I love how pedestrian this story starts because he has no idea the depth to which God has a plan that he's going to unfold in his life. He thinks he's just going about his regular business. Also not a bad lesson for us that God's plans are substantially higher than our plans. So they say, hey, we could find this guy. His name is Samuel. They do find him. What they don't know is that uh, 1 Samuel 9 says that the day before Saul came, the Lord had already told Samuel, I'm sending a guy over to you. And when he sees him, the voice of the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, that's the guy. He's going to govern Israel. And so Samuel has very clear marching orders. Saul has no idea that this is happening, but it says, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, verse 17, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And now, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 begins with this anointing. And it says it this way. It says, then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and he poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you 
ruler over his inheritance. They did anointing a little different than we do. We do the very tame, you know, a little bit of oil, you know, touch you on the head. This was like the pour the whole thing over you. It was very obvious when you have been anointed king. He's been anointed the first king. That's the first scene. And just ask you to reflect on that a little bit in that space of in humility, we realize that our very pedestrian lives, we do not always know the depth to which God is going to do something special. We don't always know when that's going to happen, how he's going to use it, when he's going to use it. Saul finds himself in a very special place all of a sudden and unexpected. Scene two. Scene two is what I would simply call the second anointing. Samuel is now beginning to talk to Saul. I imagine the guy is shell-shocked, right? He's going to go home and tell his dad, like, I didn't find a donkey, but I became king of the nation. You know? So he's probably spinning, I imagine. He's probably trying to process a lot of things. Samuel is that voice who's now speaking in, telling him what to do. And here's what he tells him. He says, go to Gibeah of God. That is where there's a Philistine outpost. This is 1 Samuel 10, verses 5 and following. He says, you're going to approach the town. You're going to see prophets coming down. They're going to be worshiping and prophesying. And then it says in verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. And you will prophesy with them. And then listen to this, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. This is actually really critical on probably several levels. Let's touch on a a couple. Number one, um, to try to do work for God without the anointing of God is a problem. Saul is given a huge gift. The second anointing is a huge gift because he's not being sent out to just do a thing. Good luck, you got this. It required the anointing of God over him. The troubling fact with this, though, is that he had the anointing of God because it happens just like this. He goes out, he follows, he obeys. He begins to prophesy so that the people actually see him and say, man, is Saul among the prophets? That's why that, 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 word, that uh, scripture talks about that. Is Saul now among the prophets? What's going on? Because the anointing of God was on him. That's beautiful, but that's also troubling. It's troubling because what it tells us in this equation of God giving grace to the humble, opposing the proud, is that you can actually have the anointing of God and subsequently lose his favor. That's exactly what happens in Saul's life. It would be a lot more comforting to me if the guy was just a bozo who assumed the throne and God said, no, you're a bad guy. You get out and I'll put David in place. But he had the anointing of God. So we need to, that that should give us just a little pause as we think about this second anointing. R.T. Kendall says this. This is important for us. He says, the anointing is the power of the Spirit that makes your gift function easily. Each of you has gifts. If you are in Christ today, priesthood of believers, you have gifts. So what we need to do with our gift essentially is this. Don't just get up and start using it. Is that we take our gift humbly before the Lord and we ask Him to anoint us with his Holy Spirit to fill us that we would have the power and the direction to know the direction to go. You know what I'm saying? And here's the beautiful thing of that picture. When God sees leaders who are not starting with this and saying, hey, I've got my gift, I'm gonna start using it, but actually starting in that place of receiving his anointing, God says, that's a leader that I can use, but it requires something. Humility. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Such a beautiful theme. You, like, you can't unsee it. And so now we see this importance of not only having humility to receive the anointing, but maintaining humility to maintain the anointing. I mentioned R.T. Kendall a minute ago. I did not know this name very well until Amy and I were at a conference last summer and got to sit under his teaching. He's a quirky, wonderful little man. Uh, he's like 141 years old, I think, uh, and uh, has all that wisdom and, uh, and is joyful in the Lord as well. And so we just enjoyed his teaching. And one of the things that he taught about, about Samuel and, and David and Saul, was this, this grid that's really helpful for us as you read through First and Second Samuel. He talked about this concept of yesterday's leader, yesterday's man, yesterday's woman. I'm, I'm using the word yesterday's leader. Today's leader, tomorrow's leader. And that we see all of these in the life of Saul and of Samuel and of David. You can put that up there, uh, the, next, the next slide. Did we fix that from the, the last time? We had a little, a little mix. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Or maybe just take it down. That's fine too, whatever. Uh, no problem. Um, yesterday's leader is Saul. And we're, we're gonna essentially take time here in the remainder of our, of our message to talk about how did he get there? Because that's the one that you don't wanna be. You know, it's fine to be tomorrow's leader. That just means that you haven't fully come into your, your anointing yet, like the, the, the anointing that God has prepared for you or planning for you maybe has not been fully developed or you haven't been appointed to that. That's fine. That just means you've got to be patient and you've got to be humble and prayerful, seeking the Lord, developing the relational you know, uh, cred that you need to, to be with him. There's certainly nothing wrong with being today's leader. That just means that God has a calling on your life now, usually to appoint and to develop tomorrow's leader, but you do not want to be yesterday's leader. Yesterday's leader has lost favor with God even though they once had genuine anointing to lead and sometimes they don't even know it. You do not want to be yesterday's leader. There was a promising start to Saul's kingship and yet it ends very badly. How does he become a spear-throwing, ego-boosting, threat-eliminating, threat-emitting as well person? It's because he's never dealt with his stuff. He goes from a leader of high promise but with the favor of God into this tragic figure of total loss. He loses God's favor. He loses human favor. He loses position and power. He loses his mental health as he declines uh, He declines even into madness. How does that happen? That's what we're going to talk about in this last little scene here. Scene three is how does the bottom fall out? Now I'm going to give you a little bit of good news on what is otherwise a sort of depressing message. The good news is, get ready for it, you can learn things vicariously. Somebody say amen to that. Some of you say, I'm not sure what that word means, but I think I know. Okay. Vicariously means like you don't have to just learn all of the things by making your own mistakes. So the good news is you can learn from other people in their example. So when we talk about the bottom falling out, this is actually a beautiful thing that we can see and that we can learn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna advance you just a little bit, then we'll do some backtracking. First Samuel 15, Samuel says uh, in verse 26 to Saul, I will not go back with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. That is the definitive statement. 
And it's, and it's sort of pathetic. Samuel turns to leave. Saul catches hold of him by his, he's literally grabbing onto his robes and don't go. And the robe tears and Samuel turns around, prophetic word, and he says, this is God tearing the kingdom from you. That's it. And it says in verse 35, until that day, Sam, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. We're gonna talk about that next week a little bit. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So the question that we've got to wrestle with is, how does this happen? Where did Saul go wrong to become yesterday's leader, having the position, and listen, he's like only 40 years old when this happens, so this is not an age thing. It's not that he just got so old. It's that, that he spent most of the time in his kingship as yesterday's leader. How did that happen? I'm gonna give you four things. You could probably come up with four more, a dozen more, whatever, have at it, dig in. Study, learn, discuss in your community groups, families, and everything else. But here's the four that I would share with you today, and we're going to wrap up our last point with these things. Number one, Saul did not master the enemy of fear. If you go back and you begin to trace a little bit, first of all, I'm going to say something. I feel for this guy. I, I genuinely do. I'm not saying anything here that I would say, oh, yeah, I would never have struggled with that. I've struggled probably with all of these things and more, right? Imagine being a young leader thrown into this place, and all of a sudden you're, you're going to be in charge of something. You've got to figure it out. When they actually went to, so he's, he is, uh, he's selected, he's anointed, and then he's appointed. So when they get to the appointment, this is now in front of all the people, and in, in 1 Samuel 10, I think it's verse 22, it says that, like, it's like the Von Trapp family singers. You remember that? From the, the family Von Trapp. You know, they're, like, not there. It's like, it's, it's King Saul, and he's, he's not there. And they're like, where is he? And do you remember where he was? He's hiding. He's afraid. He's got to deal with his fear. Saul, when appointed, was hiding in the baggage. Saul, when confronted later in his kingship, holds on to his position and his authority. See, the fact of the matter is, fear is one of the great tools of the enemy of your soul. Fear of man is one of the great flaws of leadership. So if you, if you really trace this line, you know, he's appointed, okay, well, he was nervous, so that was all that was. Well, then he did this. But you see these symptoms continue to come back that he's responding in fear. The big, the big mess up that Saul lost the kingdom over and the torn robe and all that stuff, what happened was God had called him and said, you're supposed to lead in this way, you're gonna battle in this way, you're gonna wipe out the Amalekites, I don't want you to keep anything alive, don't keep the sheep, don't keep the ghosts. Sam Samuel comes to visit him and he says, that's when he says, why do I hear this bleating sound of sheep? And Saul makes excuses, we're going to get to that in a second, but he says, he says well, you know, we, we wanted to keep some of the choice things out, and then he, he finally coughs it up. He says, the people wanted me to do it, I was afraid to say no, and so I just did it. Fear mastered him. I do not say this with any accusation, because fear is one of the great enemies that all of us as leaders many of us are leaders here in this room must deal with fear is why we spin a false self that looks good to others what Saul actually probably needed more than anything was some soul care we just came through the soul care conference this week and we took time to say look we got to look at what's going on inside of us where is fear keeping us in a privatized sense of religion this is what Rob Reamer was teaching us this this last week what do we mean by that I deal with sin, 
Every one of us deals with sin. Dealing with sin here, I take it to the Lord and I repent. I go back to the sin again. I repent. Oh, I'm going to work harder, do a little bit better. Go back here again. But see, there's something missing in this whole idea of privatized religion. Some of you are in that place right now, right? What's missing is when we actually have confessional community and take that out of the dark and into the light, and every time I've done that in my life, I've always grown, incidentally. All the times I've avoided that, I've struggled to grow. When we do that, we actually find that it's, it's fearful. It's scary to do that. It requires us to say, all right, I'm going to put aside my false front, my fake self that I'd love to show you. You know, I love showing you that. And I put that aside to be honest. What does that require? Humility. Humility. And God loves humility. And God helps humble people grow. So this is the first one that he really wrestled with. The second one is not that far off from it. Uh, he did not master the enemy of fear. Number two, he did not honor the limits of his anointing. So in 1 Samuel 13, we're not going to look at it specifically today, but some of you know this story. 1 Samuel 13, Saul is waiting for Samuel to come to make these offerings before they go out and do this battle. And he's getting nervous because Samuel's late in coming. And so he says, you know what, I'm just going to do the offerings myself. And this is the thing. We, we would look at the life of Saul and we would look at the life of David and we would say, David did a lot worse junk than, than Saul did. This doesn't seem that big of a deal or whatever, but in rebellion, he went against the word of God. He stepped outside the limits of his anointing. He was the king, and he had many things that he was entitled to do, but that was not one of them. And knowing that, he said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing. He stepped outside. He didn't honor the limits of his anointing. When you go outside your anointing, you begin to struggle in all kinds of ways. Paul, here's the, here's the thing. This is teaching from R.T. Kendall, really, really good. He said this. Paul talks about every one of us having a measure of faith. What does that mean? Jesus Christ had the spirit without limit. You have a measure of faith. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Every single one of us has a limit to what we are able to do. The beauty of that is that in the body of Christ, that means that my gifts probably complement somebody else here. Your gifts probably complement somebody else, maybe that's in your very row, and that together as the body of Christ, we move forward. But the only one who gets the glory because he's got all the gifts and has all of the fullness of the measure of the Spirit is Jesus. And that keeps us humble, keeps us away from pride. So we've got to honor our limits we got to come to terms that there is a limit to our gifting. Pete Scazzaro and Emotionally Healthy Leadership, one of the key principles, embrace your limits. Embrace your limits. Key leader, embrace your limits. Uh, Parker Palmer, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, he defines burnout this way. When you're burned out, you're simply trying to give something that you don't have. Some of us are in that place. Why? Because we want to say, well, but somebody needs me. I got to do this next thing. I got to keep moving, all of this kind of stuff. And in a way, that's actually just your own pride. Saying, I'm going to try to give something away that I don't have. We could go on on this. I've got several examples, but I'm going to just keep us moving here a little bit. Let's go to number three. Uh, Saul, how did he become yesterday's leader? He made excuses when he was confronted with his sin. Um, this is something I'm sort of struck by. Again, we are, we are debunking the title of this series. There are very few Bible heroes, actually. 
You know, they seem to get it wrong a lot more than they get it right, which is encouraging because it shows us that, yeah, imperfect people God can still use. But in key leaders like Saul and like David, they had these mess-ups, they had these blowouts, they had these issues, and it took somebody confronting them very directly the prophet Nathan comes to David, let me tell you a story about a sheep and a guy who took the sheep. And Oh, man, that guy should die. That's you. Samuel comes to, to Saul after he lights the offering fires and, and everything, and, and, and he confronts him. He says, you've done a foolish thing. Like, you are going to lose the kingdom because God is looking for humble leaders that he can trust. David, though his, I, I, on my scale, his crimes seem a lot worse but David had a heart after God in fact he said things like this against you and you only I have sinned and that actually brings us to our last point he was more concerned Saul with losing the kingdom than losing the king David is confronted with sin we'll look at that a little bit next week but when David is confronted with sin he's looking to the relationship that he has with God and he said this is I've sinned against you Saul wants to hold on to the kingdom. He wants to hold on to the position. He wants to hold on to this thing. And he doesn't realize that the anointing is gone. So you don't want to be yesterday's leader, and I don't want to be yesterday's leader. And so we've got to learn to live in the light, and we've got to learn to deal with fear, and we've got to learn to embrace limits, and we've got to keep being humble and not make excuses. And be concerned about the king. Not just the task or the calling or the responsibility. So here's what I'd like to do. This is a bit of a downer of a message, but downer of messages have good things, and that is that when we get humble, God can lift us up. So here's what I want to do. Team's going to lead us out of here in just a minute. I just want to give a quick prayer over you and give you an opportunity to respond in prayer. Maybe the Lord has, has uh, tweaked something today. Maybe he's, he's, maybe he's nudging you in some ways. Maybe there's a place where you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm making excuses here. I'm operating out of fear here. I'm, I'm much more interested in the, in the sort of the glittering image of myself as opposed to the real me because the real me's flawed and the real me's got some stuff to deal with. So if any of those things are, are resonating with you, let me ask you just to simply pick one of these words. And if you pick all three, that's fine too. Um, I'm gonna pray for you first and then we'll, we'll give you this. Jesus, would you just do a little bit of heart work in us today because we really want to be humble leaders. And I even sense that in this room. God, there's, I, we, we want to serve you well. We want to honor you well. We want to walk in the light. We want to bring glory to your name. We want to be that kind of people. Um, but we can wrestle with our stuff as well. So just help us by your Holy Spirit. And here's what I'd ask you to do. As I pray uh, these just few things over you. Just pick a word, and if this word resonates with you, I want you just to, to designate that uh, by, by just raising a hand, just so I know who I'm talking to. The first one is this. Uh, I will choose to live in the light of repentance. This repentance is that key word. And we, we've enjoyed that phrase many times. It said, wait, repentance is not this scary thing. This is getting my heart back in line with the heart of God. That's a good thing. So just raise your hand up just so I can see who you are. Lord, we just pray. There's several of us saying we need to live in the light of repentance. Here's the second one. Second one is I need to embrace my limits. I am trying to give away stuff that I don't have. 
trying to please people in ways that I can't do. Yeah, several of us. Lord, would you just be gracious to us and give us wisdom. When we say things like teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom, we're talking about stewarding our, our days, stewarding our time, stewarding our energy. And we don't want to be prideful in thinking we can do everything. We have been given a measure of grace. Cause us to use that measure of grace how you choose to, to call us to do it. And then the, the last one that I have, and again, there could be a whole bunch more, um, just to say I, I'm wrestling with fear. You know, that's the old nemesis. I'm wrestling with fear sometimes. Anybody say that? That's a kind of a key word for you. Yeah. yeah I just, I've got a great word for you. <laughs> the word for you, and I receive it as well, is just that God's word is explicit in this, that he says that perfect love casts out fear. And fear is going to chase you in all kinds of different ways. I wake up with fear sometimes. I, I wrestle with fear sometimes. And I just embrace that perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. And so for any of us, maybe you just raised a hand and you said, okay, that's kind of where I'm wrestling. What, what do I do with it? Here's a very simple call with what you might do with it this morning. This is, you don't even have to write this down. It's that simple. Here's what it is. Ask Jesus what your next step of obedience is, period. And then just do it. God, we ask that you would help us to hear clearly. I, I suspect that right now you're probably asking somebody to do something that they don't want to do. To say, oh man, that conversation, that could be hard. Oh, saying no, that could be, that could make me look like I don't care. You might be asking us to do something that's hard. Repentance is hard. It's never easy, but it is good. It brings us back to living in the light. That's where you want to be in the first place. So Lord, give us grace to take one next step of obedience to you and cause us to grow cause us to lead well, cause us to love well, cause us to be humble. And we just hear your spirit saying, man, humble people I can use. Proud people I resist, but humble people I can use. And God's going to use you perhaps more than you ever even thought possible. So Lord, we thank you today. We love you. All the glory to Jesus. We pray in his name. God's people said, amen.